0: John chapter 6. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that had gone on, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread, after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realised that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. This is the one.
1: And do keep that uh, passage open that we had uh, read to us uh, just a moment ago, John chapter 6. If you've lost the place, great if you have that passage open uh, this morning. Uh, as you can tell, we're back in uh, John's Gospel, uh, exploring these signs that John records for us um, uh, in his Gospel, signs that... Uh, reveals something of who, of who Jesus is, his glory and his majesty. And last week we encountered a man who, who fed 5,000 plus uh, to, to bursting with leftovers from just five loaves and two fish. And this morning we we're confronted with a man who, who walks on water. I wonder what you make of this, uh, this fifth sign. I guess of all the signs, this is probably one of the, the strangest. Uh, perhaps so strange, so bizarre that, uh, uh, to some at least, maybe even Christians, uh, it seems just beyond the, the bounds of belief. Uh, I remember doing an assembly at a school locally uh, uh, over this passage, and we had lots of fun with buckets of water and Playmobil figures. Maybe this story is just, just for children. Uh, a story that captures their imaginations. But I wonder whether we've, we've missed the power and the force of this particular event. Uh, some will remember, uh, I think it was Dynamo, there he is, uh, famously walking on the, the waters of the Thames, or well, at least uh, uh, creating the illusion of doing so. But, but even if we conclude that Jesus uh, does perform this miracle... Uh, I guess many of us are still kind of scratching our heads, thinking, "Well, what what, what does it accomplish? This sort of physics-defying action on the Sea of Galilee? Yeah, incredible display of power. Uh, But why? Uh, To what ends? If this is a sign, something that that sort of points away from itself, uh, that reveals something of the identity and the the purposes of Jesus, what does it reveal? And how?" Well, John breaks into this narrative of the great feeding to, to include this sign. So I think there must be something important that he, he wants us to grasp, something he wants us to see, uh, even this morning. Well, at the moment, we'll be doing some digging around, particularly the Old Testament, but I, um, I think that will shed light on this sign. But I was reading through John this, again this week, and... And one of the things that John is really keen for us to see is this relationship between father and son. You might remember uh, a couple of weeks back when we looked at that uh, sign, Jesus uh, healing the paralysed man by the pool. Uh, He gets into trouble, doesn't he, with the the religious leaders because he does it on the Sabbath. And how does Jesus defend himself? He says, I'm working on the Sabbath because my father also works. And he goes on and says, indeed, whatever the father does the Son does too. In other words, as the religious leaders question Jesus' authority identity, Jesus responds by saying, like Father, like Son. If you've truly recognised the work of my Father, then through my works, you would know who I am. Recognise my authority when it comes to me. Well, hopefully, last week we saw that claim uh, authenticated as Jesus applies that bread to that crowd as he does that very striking miracle that mirrors what, G- what God had done in the desert many centuries before and fed his people uh, miraculously with manna. And so again this morning, I hope we'll see uh, that same kind of connection. Uh, Jesus not just simply doing sort of magic tricks or, or physical uh, impossibilities, but showing his, his godness, giving us a glimpse of his breathtaking glory. That we might truly know him and uh, believe in him and experience life in his name. Let's come and pray to this God and ask that he would open our eyes to see him this morning. Lord Jesus, please open our eyes this morning to see those things that you want us to to grasp uh, from what you did on that lake. uh, That our faith might be increased, that our fears might be diminished so that we might enjoy more of that wonderful freedom and life and joy that you come to bring. And we ask this for our goods, but also for your honour and for your glory. Amen. Well, just before um, we dig into this story itself, uh, we're going to dig around a little bit of the Old Testament, as I said, uh, and get some of the background I don't know. A background can be really important, can't it? So I don't know where you've come across uh, that technique that film producers use when they use a, a green screen technique, which enables them to sort of film something and add a background uh, to it. Uh, just this week, I was watching uh, an unedited green screen film of a man doing all kinds of crazy things: lunges, kicks, and somersaults. And to be honest, it, it looked totally weird. Uh, and then I got to see uh, what was behind. Um, a fire-breathing dragon who he was fighting. And suddenly everything made a lot more sense. So this morning, what's the background that we need to, to make sense of uh, that will help us understand this rather strange sign, this man, Jesus, walking uh, on water? Well, thankfully, I don't think we've got to guess very hard because John actually beg- gives us an important clue early in the chapter. Before uh, the chapter begins and, and the action starts, he deliberately points out that these events, the the feeding uh, and now the walking on water, happen around the time of Passover. And in case you're not familiar with that particular celebration, uh, I need a quick refresher. uh, Passover was this yearly Jewish uh, festival and celebration of of God's great rescue uh, of his people from from slavery, from misery, uh, as slaves in Egypt. Remember how God used those miraculous plagues until that, that stubborn pharaoh finally grants the Israelites uh, their freedom. But, of course, in one sense, the climax of that story is after those events, the, the plagues. As the, as the Israelites reach the Red Sea, uh, they discover that Pharaoh's had a change of heart. He's now bearing down on them with his massive army. And they find themselves trapped between army and sea. Nowhere out, no way, nowhere to go. And, and so in panic and desperation... Uh, The people cry out to God. And God responds. He responds through uh, the words of Moses. "Uh, Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord. God says, don't fear. I will handle this. I will fight for you. I will rescue you. And then God commands Moses to hold out his, his staff over the sea. And remember, as he does, God parts the sea so that his people can walk safely through before closing it up again over the enemies who are pursuing them. Well, no wonder that event was celebrated. Uh, he's a God, isn't he, of real power. Power over the sea, a command over the waves. A God who comes to the aid of his people and uses that power uh, to bring deliverance and to bring them safely to the other side. Here's a God who's powerfully present with his people and powerfully acts for them and for their deliverance. And that theme is a great theme, of course, throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament. It's like what, what makes God, God? What makes him unique among all the other so-called gods? And it was great grounds, wasn't it, for joy, a great celebration. Uh, or this privileged people and they said what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the lord our god is near us whenever we pray god who works and acts powerfully in response to those prayers well i wonder whether you see the connection i wonder if the background helps as we see these events unfold on the lake here in john well, John doesn't want to miss the connection. Uh, in fact, he goes out of his way in a number of places to, to highlight the parallels. We find Jesus being the one who, who comes near, who powerfully acts over the sea uh, to bring deliverance and rescue for his people. Well, if that is an important bit of background, there are some other things too that I just want to quickly draw your attention to. Here's some words from Job. Uh, he says... Uh, he alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Who's Job talking about? He's talking about the Lord. He's talking about God. He alone treads on the waves of the sea. It's a God thing. So do we start to still feel a force of this story, the significance of Jesus coming on the waves, treading them down? Just so one more piece of background. Uh, again, it helps make sense of the sign. Uh, Here's Psalm 107, a great psalm of deliverance, a song of deliverance from various disasters and calamities. Again, let's spot the parallels in these verses at the heart of that psalm. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. Uh, the waves and the sea were hushed. They were glad when it was calm, and he guided them to their desires. Even... That's the backdrop Read to the sign this morning. Uh, A God in the Old Testament who who powerfully is present with his people and treads down the waves, who stills storms, who who saves, who rescues and ultimately brings his people home. And these aren't one-offs. This is a God who declares to his people, uh, when or whenever you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Well, having seen something of the backdrop, let's look at the the sign itself. Let's spend some time looking at Jesus, the Son. And let's glimpse something of his glory uh, this morning as he does God's stuff. Those same works his father has done. Well, did you notice that the the feeding of the 5,000, the start of... uh, this chapter causes quite a stir. Verse fourteen, people are starting to wonder whether he's the, Jesus is the promised prophet, the one who will be like Moses. And they're very eager to make him king, aren't they? To, to perhaps to use him for their own agendas. But Jesus, I think, knows that they're still in the dark about who he is and what he's come to do. He's not fooled by the crowds or taken in by their enthusiasm. He's not into sort of publicity stunts like Dynamo. He he sees so through their praises, I think, and their purposes. And just when you think that the Jesus bandwagon is starting to really roll, Jesus heads away, not he, from the crowds, goes up a mountain and he prays. Uh, meanwhile, the disciples uh, get into a boat and begin to cross the lake uh, without Jesus. And before we uh, read too much into this, it's worth pointing out that Jesus himself um, had sent them on their way ahead of him with that promise that he would join them soon. And now we find those disciples on the lake, uh, in the boats. And look down at verse 17. By now, says John, it was, it was dark. John's account is really concise compared to the other versions of this account in the other Gospels. And he's already said that it was evening. But I think he kind of labours the point here. He wants us to see that kind of connection between what is about to happen and what happened back in the Exodus? You see, it was at night that God parted the waves for the Israelites to walk through. It was in the darkness that his deliverance came. But also, I think, I think John wants us to see, us, see here a, a significance greater than just the physical when he talks about this darkness. See, in his gospel, darkness is often more than purely Physical. It's often something that uh, conveys spiritual realities, Uh, people not understanding, people being in the dark. And not least when it comes to seeing Jesus and who he is. And so these disciples are on the boat without Jesus and they're in the dark. And in a way, things get a whole lot darker, don't they? As the waves start to buffet, the wind picks up. And did you notice that their efforts to, to row to safety are thwarted by the, just the power of this increasingly violent storm? Indeed, after several hours of, of hard rowing, they have not made it even more than about a third of the way across the sea? But then suddenly the focus shifts, doesn't it, from this struggling band of boys in their in the boats, uh, these frightened fishermen, to, to Jesus. And I think you kind of need to picture the scene here. Disciples struggling, straining, battered by the waves, being blown off course. You see them? And then suddenly Jesus is in view, approaching the boat, walking on the water, striding over the waves. See The contrast, what's an impossible struggle uh, against the force of the sea for the followers is effortless for jesus sweat perhaps the blistered hands sore strained backs it's contrasted with this majestic ease with which jesus rides the storm he walks across the water and waves towards them literally treads on he treads down the waves john says do you see God who subdued and parted the seas next to us now shows that same power and authority as he, as he walks on water, as he treads down the waves. But notice too, it is a walk, isn't it, with a purpose. He's not just out for a casual stroll. He's coming, isn't he, to his disciples. He's heading for the boats so that he might be powerfully present with them and bring his Deliverance to bring them to safety ultimately to their intended destination. I I love the response of the disciples, it is very understandable, isn't it? Uh, Totally believable. Not the cheers of excited fans, but the fear of those who experience uh, firsthand, if you like, the naked power and authority of Jesus, who are exposed to his godness and his glory. C.S. Lewis is was right, wasn't he? Jesus is not a tame Jesus, is he? he, he someone we can stroke or play with. He's, he's more like that awesome, mighty, inspiring lamb, a lion whose strength is irresistible, whose power overwhelms and flaws us. But notice too how quickly Jesus is uh, keen to, to reassure uh, his disciples. He says, it is I. Do not be afraid. More literally, he says, I am. Don't be afraid. I am. Just a couple of words. But if you know the story of, of, of God's deliverance in Exodus, you'll know that uh, that's the name that God reveals himself to be, to, to, to Moses at the burning bush before that great deliverance, as Moses finds himself unexpectedly on holy ground. We could spend a whole sermon, actually, thinking about those words, I am. This God who's got no no beginning, no end. God who doesn't change, who has no need to change. God who's self-existent, dependent on no one on nothing, and yet the one on whom all things depend. I am, says Jesus, don't be afraid. I wonder we just can sense perhaps something of the weight of those words, the, the power, as it were, that reverberates through them and the reality uh, that they reveal. Can you just see why being in the presence of this one who is I am well, changes everything, doesn't it? Especially if we know that he's with us and for us. He's committed to, to using that unimaginable power uh, to meet our greatest needs. Deliver to, in this case, still a storm to a whisper and bring these guys safely through it. Not surprisingly, I guess, uh, these words of reassurance make the disciples very eager to have Jesus in the boat with them. Literally, they are glad to receive him. And uh, I notice verse 21, as they welcome him, uh, quite supernaturally it seems, after hours of sort of fruitless labour and effort, hours of straining at the oars, suddenly... Immediately, they find themselves on the, on the shore, safely brought to the other side. Well, I wonder whether we understand the sign, whether we see something of the significance, uh, what it reveals about this man who walks on water. His identity, is: we find him doing exactly the same things that his father does, being that same God who's powerfully present for the deliverance and rescue of his people. See the glory of Jesus, the the godness he displays. I wonder if we're left perhaps like the disciples, unnerved, even frightened, rightly so I think, and yet still drawn to this one uh, who uses that power to deliver his people. I wonder whether you understood the sign. Well, if this is a sign that does indeed point us back to that great deliverance back in Exodus, Uh, there is a real sense, too, of course, where it points us forwards to, to an even greater deliverance. A greater display of glory and power. In which we discover that Jesus comes to us, too. That he might enter the swirling darkness of a cross that he might deliberately enter the storm, as it were, the eye of the storm of God's judgment for our sin. And in experiencing that darkness and judgment, deliver us and bring us out of that darkness into his light and safety. See, it's amazing, this this sign is on the lake. Um, It's just a pointer, it's like the hors d'oeuvres to something greater still, where the I am treads down a far greater power than the waves to secure our rescue and to bring us home. If this sign is glorious and reveals the glory of Jesus, then Jesus throughout the gospel will speak of his hour, that moment where his glory is most brilliantly displayed against that dark backdrop of human wickedness. As he carries uh, my sin, as he breaks its hold over me, and releases me from the power of death, those waves that threaten to wash us away forever. Well, this morning, I wonder whether you've made uh, sense of the sign. And I wonder whether you've embraced and trusted the one it points to and reveals. You discover that these words of, of reassurance are, are words for us, words for us to, to savour and to, to cling to. As we acknowledge Jesus and his, his power to deliver us and direct us and lead us home. Or in the language of this passage, I wonder whether we've invited Jesus as it were into our boat, giving up to our futile efforts uh, to save ourselves, trusting him to take the wheel and direct us away from death and to safety and life. I was thinking this morning, I draw to a close, if, if we have, it does, it will, won't it? It will change everything. It has to. This morning, how do I know, what's one of the ways we can tell that we have encountered Jesus as I am? And we know something of his presence, his deliverance. I, I guess it's part, isn't it, how we relate to storms in our lives now, isn't it? I don't think I'm trivializing this story. Yes, this is a sign that ultimately points to that greatest of deliverances that Jesus will accomplish for us on the cross. And if we know that He's the one who's come powerfully near to liberate us from our sin, from death, from hell, then need I be so afraid of, of any storms that continue to rock my boats. See, if he's dealt with the greatest of storms at the cross and has risen in victory, or how much more confident can I be that he will handle those very real but smaller storms that maybe I face now or will I encounter in this week ahead? And I was thinking, having seen the power and glory of Jesus in this sign this morning, wouldn't it be wonderful this week if we trusted this same Jesus? If we held on to those words, it is I, I am, do not be afraid. And clung to them whatever we face. Perhaps if we do that, we will find Jesus acting uh, as quickly and as decisively as he did on the lake uh, on that night. And if he does, then all we can do is is praise him and thank him for being that God who is present uh, to deliver us. But maybe some of the storms that we will face, and do face, will, will continue to rage. At least with no immediate end in view. So what then? I think the words of Jesus still hold, don't they? I am. He remains with us, doesn't he, by his Spirit, and he assures us that we can trust him with our, with our struggles, with our fears, as we wait for that promised deliverance. As I finish, just a picture that I had in my mind, that I saw recently. Here it is. I can find it. There we go. I I was watching uh, two children uh, playing on a park seesaw just a while back, and you could say it was a rather uneven contest. Um, The child at one end was as wide as he was tall, and he uh, took great delights in tormenting his sister, who was at the other ends, high in the sky, legs flaying, frantically straining to, to reach the safety of terra firma. She was clearly not enjoying the experience. As I watched, a, a, a third individual appeared on the scene, I assume it was the dad, and he was huge. And he was bigger than both kids put together, and he climbed onto the centre of uh, that seesaw and then began to walk towards his daughter. And as he got nearer, even before he reached her, the girl found herself on, on land where her bullying brother was left high and dry. I guess what challenges me this morning is that this glimpse that John gives us of Jesus, this glimpse of his glory, his weightiness, as he comes to be with us and be our, It's a big view, isn't it, of God? It's a big view. God is powerfully present to help in trouble. And I wonder, does it change me? Does it change the way I see everything else, all the fears that often I experience, the storms that threaten? I don't know what you fear. What fears trouble you or will trouble you this week perhaps it will be the fear of failure fear of not meeting up to expectations of others, not being able to deliver what others want us to it's a great weight isn't it it can weigh us down here in this story we meet a God who is bigger weightier than all those demands and expectations and he comes to reassure us that he is powerfully present with us, perhaps it's a different kind of fear. Maybe it's a fear or, or that living for Jesus somehow will, will bring loss or disappointment. A fear perhaps that at the end we will miss out somehow, career, relationships, or life at least the life the world offers. But again, I think John shows us that Jesus is weightier, isn't he? So much more substantial than all those things. And if he's with us, if he's captaining our boats then we don't need to fear or envy what others have. Maybe we're just fearful because we know it's something of our own sinfulness. Uh, and it's burdensome, isn't it? Uh, it weighs us down, our failures, are uh, haunted by us, of feeble track records as Christians, as followers of Jesus in terms of faith and obedience. Again, it's a burden that threatens to maybe crush us at the start of this new week. But this glimpse of Jesus shows us that he's, he's big enough, mighty enough, Uh, to carry the burdens of our sin and failure and ultimately deliver us from it. Maybe we are afraid of the future of death, but Jesus walks through that darkest of storms and promises us that he will bring us through and safely to the other side. I'm not saying these aren't weighty things, these things that we fear, but I wonder whether we've glimpsed something of the, the glory, power, of Jesus, this one who is present with us to rescue and deliver. So much bigger, isn't he, than anything that we might face, even this week. And if he's committed to being with us to the extent that he would shoulder our sin for us and face the storm of God's judgment instead of us, can't we, can't we trust him this week to deal with our struggles and fears? Just knowing how good and glorious, how weighty and substantial he is. Well, let's do that even now as we pray that to him this morning. Father, we thank you for this amazing picture that you give us of the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he is powerfully present in this story to, to rescue and deliver and bring those fear, fear-filled followers home safety. Father, we pray that even this week, as we encounter struggle and storm, that we would hear those words echoing through our hearts and our lives. I am. Do not be afraid. So help us, Lord, even today. uh, Whatever um, the day brings, whatever this week brings, help us to trust you. Not as that lightweight God, but as that heavyweight, glorious God, who comes to us and delivers us and brings us home.